0: This is Dennis Ramondi, I'm here with my co-host Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, our podcast, Spirit Matters Talk, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Robert Jonas, Uh, he is a retired psychotherapist uh, and is the founder and director of The Empty Bell, a contemplative sanctuary in Northampton, Massachusetts, with special emphasis on the Buddhist-Christian dialogue and on the arts. Uh, Jonas is an author musician, and retreat leader. Uh, Robert, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show and speak with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Jonas, um, well, actually, see, I, I just called you Jonas, so. <laughs> well,
1: and that's, that's my preference, actually. I know. So uh, let's uh, begin with the first question. Why is it your preference? So the rest of the uh, interview, will be calling you Jonas, and we don't want to confuse people.
2: Well, since I'm a psychotherapist, I should uh, put it this way that my father's name was Robert and everybody called him Bob, so I can't use Bob. I wanted to be different from my father. And then uh, hanging out with him, I uh, my parents were divorced, my father left, and there was a whole drama around that. And I decided that uh, and since all my friends were calling me Jonas anyway, that I would just go by Jonas. And I've done that over the years. It confuses some people, but I just tell them, I like it as a single name. Jonas was, as you know, in Hebrew Scripture, was uh, a prophet who was swallowed by a whale and spit out, back spit back onto land. And uh, I feel like I've gone through something like that in my life. So, I'm Jonas.
1: So you're a you're a one name God, a person like Madonna and Sting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> okay, good. Um, Maybe we can begin by uh, asking you to describe uh, the Empty Bell and the purpose of it and the history.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, folks can go to uh, emptybell.org to get a sense of w- what this is. I, uh, after finishing my doctorate at Harvard in '83, uh, in psychotherapy, I then I spent uh, five years doing organizational development work and psychotherapy, and then partly the influence of my mentor, who was Henry Nowen, um, a great um, Roman Catholic author and spiritual director. We became friends, and he encouraged me to go ahead with my East-West Dialogue work. So in 1993, in Watertown, Massachusetts, I founded The Empty Bell. And at that time, it was a carriage house designed in the architecture of a Zen monastery, and um, it was specifically for the purpose of bringing Buddhists and Christians together. So in the 1990s, for 11 years, it was the go-to place in the Boston area for Buddhist-Christian dialogue, and I would bring quarterly. Uh, I brought leaders from both traditions together at the Empty Bell. We would sit in silence in the morning, and then we'd have lunch together, and then in the afternoon we'd have dialogue. We'd pick some topic like, um, I don't know, anger, devotion, meditation, contemplation, the differences, and so on and so forth, and uh, so that's what I did for 11 years, and then, uh, then we moved here to Western Massachusetts, built another empty bell here, and um, started the dialogue here.
0: Uh, jo- Jonas, I mean, Robert, <laughs> anyway, oh no, you want to be called Jonas, so we'll go back to that. Uh, Jonas, you are a Christian in the Carmelite tradition, uh, and yeah. you've also received see spiritual formation from Buddhist teachers. Um, how how did that happen? I, I, I grew up Catholic uh, and I knew very little, if anything, about the Carmelite tradition. Learned about it later in life and uh, found it very fascinating. And, uh, you know, no background from my side in Buddhism. How did that all come together for you and what do you consider yourself now?
2: Uh. <laughs> I consider myself a mystery, but um, <laughs> anyway, back to go back to, uh, I grew up in northern Wisconsin. My uh, g- grandparents were German-Lutheran. They spoke German around the house. They went to German-Lutheran services. Um, my grandmother taught me how to pray. Uh, ich bin klein, mein Herz ist rein, um, niemen, niem, im Wohnen aus Jesus allein. I think I got that right. Um, I'm small, my heart is pure, no one lives in my heart but Jesus alone. And I would pray that um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. My parents would come home drunk in the middle of the night. Uh, they owned a bar, and um, they would fight, and they would shout, and my mother would have black and blue eyes. And this happened several times. and Finally, they were divorced. And um, in the midst of that chaos, family chaos, I, I was the oldest of three. Uh, somehow I was gifted with the possibility of... Um, Finding inner peace, I prayed every night. And sometimes I prayed through listening to the violence going on outside my bedroom. And um, went to high school, f- fell in love in high school with the granddaughter of a Lutheran minister. She got me on a straight path. I started getting straight A's. Went to Dartmouth College. And when I went to Dartmouth, and this would be 1967, I walked into, a, I had always played football. I loved the sports. But I walked into a, a karate class led by Don Miller, and um, he had been trained in Chinese meditation, Chan, and so I started doing Chinese meditation, and then discovered Thomas Merton, as I was wondering, what the hell does this have to do with Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I I felt that I had a deep, mystical relationship with Jesus, with Christ, and, and but it was... A cognitive problem, problem, I mean, cognitive dissonance, we we'll call it. Um, what does this have to do with? Uh, Don Miller would have us walk out in, the, in Hanover, New Hampshire on the snow in the winter with barefoot and bring our chi to our feet to warm our feet. And I'm thinking, okay, Jesus didn't walk on the snow, but what, did he, what does this have to do with him? And it was Thomas Merton, the, the great Roman Catholic. Trappist who uh, died in 1968, and he, he had a friendship with many Buddhists around the world, especially the Dalai Lama. And reading his books was the doorway for me mm-hmm. to Buddhist
1: dialogue. And uh, you've written very eloquently, and I've heard you speak about um, the the relationship of your uh, Zen practice and studies and your commitment to Christianity and your relationship to Jesus, it's one that uh, I'm sure would baffle uh, many people, you know, what does one have to do with the other, but you, you have, have written very eloquently about how one feeds the other, and how, yeah. especially how Zen practice uh, uh, fed your Christianity. Could you, I, I know it's hard to summarize, but could you explain how that those two came together for you in, in, in practice?
2: Yeah, yeah um... Thomas Merton helped. Um, Thomas Merton called uh, called attention to uh, the the self-emptying of Christ. That is the um, the deep uh, detachment of love um, on the Christ path, and that in uh, in Greek is the word is kenosis, uh, the self-emptying. And I didn't. Qu- I don't think I ever really understood from my Lutheran uh, pastors and so on what that meant. But when I started doing Buddhist meditation and I would sit in silence and thoughts would come and go and feelings would come and go and memories would come and go and plans come and go and worries and emotions come and go, I gradually realized the space within which all these things are happening in the mind and and then i made the translation to transition translation to my christian practice of presence in christ that and the self-emptying of christ mm-hmm. it was it was the buddhist practice of a direct experience of emptiness that helped me understand christian scriptures
0: uh, i wanted to uh, ask about uh uh uh, thomas Keating I mentioned we we talked briefly before our interview today, and I mentioned that I had spent some time at St joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts, which is not far from Northampton uh, in the early seventies and it was I was involved in teaching them uh t m and then uh, they developed centering prayer yeah, and uh is what you do at the empty bells what you have do, done in your connecting Buddhism and Christianity similar. Uh, in some ways, to what Thomas Keating and his group have done. Yes, it is. Um,
2: uh, Thomas Keating started an
0: organization called
2: Contemplative Outreach, which folks can find on the Internet. It's a wonderful um, Catholic, uh, deep, the deep contemplative mystical tradition of Catholic faith that he teaches. And um, you and other TM teachers, I think, Enlightened Thomas and others, Basil Pennington, uh, Menninger—I forget his first name—to mm-hmm. uh, to say, "Wow, this sounds really, really important for Christians too." And they went back in history and, and discovered that in the first centuries of Christian living back in the middle in the Middle East, the second, third, fourth centuries, uh, Christian monks were practicing something that l- sounded very much like TM and Buddhist. Meditation. So, they they did that research and brought forth uh, various authors from those early centuries, like Cassian, and and others, and uh, Gregory the Great. I mean, there are just so many. And and then he brought that out to to American Catholics, and then now beyond Catholics to Protestants practicing uh, centering prayer, and that's that's the word that the Spencer monks came up with: centering prayer. So it's you know it's a very beautiful uh fruitful outcome of that dialogue with Buddhists in the seventies.
1: There seems to be a huge um burgeoning of interest in mystical Christianity or contemplative Christianity and uh the development of various forms of Christian meditation now. Um, and and people like you and people like Richard Rohr and uh, Jim Finley doing uh, retreats and workshops. um, Have you noticed this and and what is your sense of it um, in the context of sort of modern Christianity and history?
2: Oh man, I think it's the way to go. (laughs) I'm very excited about this frontier for Christians um, because it, it invites Christians to look directly at their direct experience, uh, not necessarily through the the filter of the Christian language, but but right into go. I invite people to go spelunking hmm. <laughs> inside, in inside the Christian story. Um, and what we find there is, if you read, if folks who are interested, could read. John, uh, the Gospel of John, fifteen to seventeen. When Jesus knows that he's going to die, he gives everything away. He's basically giving his whole way of living, his his joy and his freedom to others. And um, and he says, "I'm in you, and you're in me, and we're we're all in God." Basically, you know, it's this: uh, we're not one, and we're not two. So it's. A, it's this experience that's, that we're being invited into uh, that honors diversity within the unity of love. And that is what Richard Rohr is all about um, down at the Living School in Albuquerque. And as you know, he's invited so many other wonderful teachers, Mirabai Starr, Cynthia Bourgeau, uh, Jim Finley, who's a friend of yours, I think. And
1: yeah.
2: Jim and I have gotten to be friends, Jim Finley. Um, and Jim was a monk under Thomas Merton. So uh, I've been, and to one tr-
1: of our interviewees,
0: Yeah, right as was Mirabai Star <laughs> right. yeah, Recently, oh, yeah. that's
2: great. Yeah, so I, I've been to four of Jim Finley's retreats at his invitation um, to play Shakuhachi um, to, uh, for the meditations to lead into the meditations, and mm-hmm. um, I, I shouldn't. Uh, and and ba- uh, um, one phrase that's being used now by a lot of these um, progressive christian mystical teachers i don't know what to call them contemplative teachers is non-dual consciousness Mm -hmm. uh, which has some resonance with advaita hinduism and Mm -hmm. um other other faith traditions um in fact i think it's the deep common ground that we need to um uh cultivate for interfaith dialogue Mm -hmm. um but I, I i should mention just back up a little bit that in 1991 when i was at um I, as a lead-in to the empty bell, I got a postdoc master's at Western School of Theology, Jesuit School, and my thesis was on the healing interaction of object relations psychotherapy, Buddhist meditation, and Christian contemplative prayer, Mm. and that 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 was my honors thesis. And that that thesis, the research for that thesis, has really fed my life and. In a class on Thomas Merton's relationship with the Dalai Lama, I, uh, the teaching fellow stood up and played the shakuhachi. He was a former Trappist monk, David Duncavage, and as soon as I heard the notes of the shakuhachi Japanese bamboo flute, I, I realized this is my instrument. I, I was 44 years old, hadn't played anything since college, and the basic practice that I still do uh, for all my retreats, I play a little shakuhachi, is um, Ichianjubutsu in Japanese, which means to become Buddha in one sound
0: mm-hmm.
2: so that oh. that that's become the basis of my Zen practice is blowing Zen sui zen cool.
0: uh, jonas uh, I should add that
1: uh, i've been privileged to be in uh, retreat settings with you and when you've played this Sakuhachi and i've heard your c d s and and so we should call the uh, listeners' attention to uh, uh, your your c and mm-hmm. They can have that same experience.
2: Yeah. Thank you. If you, uh, thanks, Phil. If yeah, if you go to um, iTunes, for example, or Spotify, and type in "Blowing Bamboo," or type in my name, Robert A. Jonas, um, you'll you'll find my first CD, which is all Sui Zen, blowing Zen pieces mm-hmm. from yeah. Japan.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's very very contemplative <laughs> experience just to listen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 I wanted to ask. Um, You've been involved for many years with uh, Buddhist-Christian dialogue. And, and I would think, uh, and I've had this discussion with a few other of our guests, that a Buddhist uh, might uh, be able to embrace all the teachings of Christianity and with no they still consider themselves a Buddhist. Um, wh- I assume you consider yourself a Christian, uh, but you must make some distinction if you're a Christian between what Christianity is and what Buddhism is and that Christianity being something uh, that can embrace uh, the teachings uh, and techniques, uh, spiritual technologies of of Buddhism, but you are something separate when you're a Christian. Is that how you see it? I'd like you to elaborate on that.
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I I tell people who I am according to where I am and what the topic is. And Mm -hmm. I mean... um, I, I don't walk around thinking of myself as anything um, because as soon as I do, I feel constricted. Um, I'm a mystery to myself. Uh, God is a mystery. I'm a mystery. Everyone's a mystery. You know, everything is, everything is given to us to be discovered. And as I mentioned, I like this word spelunking. So no matter what comes up, I go spelunking into it. What the hell do I mean by that? And so on anyway, uh, so but my base practice I would say is Christian when I'm in uh, the Christian environment, almost wherever it is, I feel this deep eternal presence of love of um, that everything is being transformed in love and that was Jesus's message um, which has been sometimes distorted throughout the, the centuries but I, I love this dance of you know, uh, early in uh, Christian practice, um, and here, here's where Buddhism comes into, um, back in the 4th and 5th centuries when all of the uh, leaders of the church were getting together under um, Constantine, trying to decide who is what is a Christian, uh, the the Greek word that they came up with is God is a perichoresis, and what peri, uh, it translates as peri is around and choresis is dance. That God is a dance around of love. God is a dynamic presencing of love that honors diversity and unity. And and then if we go back to Genesis, we're created in that image that we are a dance around of love. We're we're created in the image and likeness of God. If you look at you know first chapter of Genesis. So, um, I, <laughs> this is hard to describe. Okay, I'm sitting at the Zen Mountain Monastery in New York one year, and I was at a three-day Zen retreat, and John De Lori was the teacher then, and you know, he grew up Catholic and became a Zen master, but I'm sitting on the cushion and on day three, and I was very frustrated. I, I just had a hard time sitting still, but by day three, I was starting to settle in, and then this beautiful, this kind of beauty that was transcending any language came up in me, and this love, and I started to cry, and I felt this light in me, like, oh, like, what, what, if I were to put a name on this, what is this? And what came to me as a Christian is Christ. This is Christ. Christ is sitting here on this Zen cushion, learning Zen. And Christ is, Christ is everywhere. So occasionally when I have conversations with fundamentalist Christians, and they say, well, what are you doing in a Zen monastery? And I say, well, Christ, what do you, you think there are places where Christ is not? Christ is everywhere. Christ is is um, cultivating love everywhere, no problem. And um, sometimes they'll understand that. A lot of times, not. (laughs) Uh Uh, So I kind of you know it's it's a dance of language. Really, we know ultimately everything is unsayable. That's what um, Thomas Merton, one of his little books, "Raids on the Unsayable," I think was called it. Um, Something like that. Um, So Zen Zen means being fully present to what is. And when I sit long enough in my meditation practice and I really let go of what I think is and come into contact with what is, I feel this overwhelming presencing of love. And I put it as a verb, presencing. It's not... A, it's never a done deal. It's always happening. Uh, one last story I'll, I'll tell is I was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer um, two two years ago and three months, and ter- terrifying diagnosis, aggressive cancer. Went to Dana-Farber, two and a half months of daily radiation, and uh, every day, every day on the radiation table. And the mantra that occurred to me in the very first week was, as the this machine went around me, occasionally buzzing with the radiation, couldn't feel it, but I knew it was destroying something or other. Um, the, the mantra was, burn away everything that is not love. Burn away everything that is not love. And it mm-hmm. just kept coming to me. Mm-hmm. For two and a half years, the radiation table became like an altar. And no matter what I thought about in my history as a, as a person, in my work, my relationships, my family, no matter what memories occurred to me, they all began circulating inside that mantra. Burn away, everything is not love. Mm. And it, it, it was a beautiful experience and it changed me. Um, so I'm in recovery.
1: and I'm delighted I, to hear that.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. um, Jonas, that, that is a good segue to a question I wanted to ask. Excuse me, on the Empty Bell website, there's this very interesting uh, little subhead called the Trinitarian Vision of Consciousness. Most people uh, who have a cursory understanding of what Christians mean by the Trinity uh, find it perplexing, uh, if, you know, at best, Um, but I found your definition of it and your description of it fascinating and and very much in in tune with... uh, you know buddhist or even advaita vedanta um, understanding or certainly a bhakti interpretation of, of the trinity uh, could you explain it and and uh, describe how you define the trinity in in uh, in the empty bell
2: yeah do you, i don't know if you know uh the work of uh, Raimondo panakar
1: yes mm-hmm. we yeah. we interviewed joseph Prabhu right. recently and he talked about oh
2: cool. yeah so I love his work. He, it is very dense. It's it's uh, thick cognitive material. But uh, one thing I learned from Raymond Panikkar, who's I think was his mother was Roman Catholic Spanish, and his father was Indian Hindu, mm-hmm. and so he had these stra- East West strains of spirituality coming through his heart and his mind, and did this phenomenal genius work and. One of the ideas that he worked with was, what is the Trinity? Now, um, it, uh, so I took off from that through another writer, S. Mark Heim, who taught at Andover Newton Theology School, um, at, who kind of simplified Panikkar a little bit, which is great. Okay, so here it is. The, the perichoresis, the dance around of love that is the Trinity, is a unity and differentiation. And neither one, nothing collapses to either one. We the world does not collapse to differences. It doesn't collapse to unity. It always is a dance of, of diff, um, uh, distinction and unity. Distinction is a better word than difference. And, and he, he, here's the thumbnail sketch. The first person of the Trinity is the great mystery that is beyond all cognition, all thought. Um, all understanding all ideology the second person the trinity is that that vast mystery showing up in a person so that when you see the person you see the first person when you see the when you see the incarnate person you see the great mystery you are in the presence of the great mystery so it's a it's an i thou relationship the second person Brings the mystery directly into our experience of relationship, uh, and that was Jesus. I mean, he's the exemplar. But then, as I mentioned, Jesus gave everything away. So we're ultimately we're all incarnations. Um, and then the third person is described as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the the how can I say this? Is 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 the 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 the, pr- the presencing of this perichoretic love among us. And the paradigmatic story in Christian scripture is uh, Pentecost, where people who are from different countries and different religions come together and they're sitting together and they have this experience of, of love that transcends their differences and they, they're still speaking different languages, but they have this unity of love among them. So the, the, the distinctions are still there, and the unity is there. And some of the icons from the early years show little little fires on everybody's forehead. <laughs> <laughs> They're all lit up with this love, you know. Mm. That So that's the manifestation of the Trinity. And once when I was in Bogaya, India, we had a discussion with the Dalai Lama about the Trinity, and he remarked on the similarities with uh, Trikaya from the Buddhist tradition. Mm. That's a very interesting um, analogy. And uh, I have a 400-page manuscript <laughs> <end laughs> on the Trinity <laughs> sitting on my desk that I finished this first draft um, th- three days before I was diagnosed with cancer. Oh. So now
0: I have to decide <laughs> should I get back into that. <laughs> ah, <God>. Jonas, uh, <laughs> in in Buddhist tradition, uh, there, as I understand it, there's uh, a teaching of enlightenment that human evolution uh, reaches its pinnacle at a certain point. And in Christianity, uh, as I understand, from my knowledge of it, uh, that is uh, not found uh, so much a, a description of enlightenment. Um, uh, what what are your thoughts on that, and, and how do you see the um, uh, the concept of enlightenment uh, of a particular of an individual in relation to the teachings of Christianity? Yeah, good question. Uh, so in
2: in Buddhism. We might say that a person realizes um, their fundamental, ultimate dharma nature, or, or true self, or whatever. And, and true self is used in Zen. True self is used by Thomas Merton, uh, where we are living in the midst of having transcended our chronological, historical life mm-hmm. into a, in, you know, into a universal, eternal identity that. we be called the true self. It's also um, if you if you again if you, you got to read Paul, Saint Paul, he says, "Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus." The mm. same mind. So, for Christians to realize that we are the mind of Christ, we are the presence of Christ, is our analog to enlightenment. Um, Paul also says that we can realize the mystery of Christ in us, um, that the Holy Spirit is in us. And Paul said, now not I, but Christ in me. What he, And what he means is he's, he's detached from his ego eye, and that is, it. there's this exemplar of Christ living through him. And Christ is the presencing of the perichoresis, the death of love. So that's enlightenment for Christians. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting, Jonas. You you allu- you mentioned earlier your cancer diagnosis and treatment, and um, uh, I, I've just in the interest of full disclosure, I've known you for a, a long time, and I remember uh, hearing you speak and um, then reading uh, your. Uh, description of how you grew spiritually through great tragedies in your life and um, and now you 've no doubt done the same with your cancer diagnosis. Can you speak to the um, experience i don 't you don 't have to be personal about it but the 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 utility of loss and suffering and the use of it in spiritual growth.
2: Yeah, I think, sure, the... Um, I, I, when I use... When people use the word ego in lots of different ways and I don't think the ego is something bad. I think the ego is our historically conditioned self, chronological self that develops through life um, and my understanding is that the 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 goal of spiritual life, if you want to say there's a goal, it's a moment-to-moment goal, it's not out there somewhere, is to allow our egos to be trans, uh, translucent or transparent to the love of Christ. That would be a Christian um, kind mm-hmm. of experience, so the ego becomes... Um, you you can you can experience love through the ego. It's, we we still have to have a self. I'm I'm a psychologist, so a lot of people don't have a self. If they don't have a self, they suffer. People around them suffer, so that that's okay. It's the transparency that we're looking for. And for me, it's like the ego is so determined to stay in control and to be self-centered, so determined, and it's suffering. It's going through these experiences where we have no control where terrible things are happening and we can't stop it, that we either surrender and go with it um, or we keep fighting and we end up mm-hmm. you know, uh, suffering even more. So to me, al- suffering is almost, I wouldn't say necessary, but suffering is a doorway into enlightenment, whether you're Buddhist or Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it never goes away, but it is a doorway, it's a portal, it's a threshold into realization into love um mm-hmm. you know being really here with others and not wanting to be somewhere else mm-hmm. um I, I remember also another tragedy for me was um losing a daughter margaret and i um lost a daughter we loved rebecca and um and and she died and um henry nowen was my mentor and henry came to uh, our house and um he said you know jonas uh uh, Jesus lost Rebecca too, and I didn't understand that right away, um, but it gradually grew on me that um, that God is not up in the clouds, God is not a father figure in the sky somewhere, but that God is the presencing of love, and that was Henry's way of saying that God experiences our suffering in the most intimate, direct way. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that Jesus lost Rebecca too, and that really helped me. That I, that I, I can't bear the amount of suffering that I feel. I, when when I see what's happening to the climate, you know, with climate change to the planet, mm-hmm. and I look around me with the homeless people and the <clears throat> terrible things that are happening in our planet, I can't bear it. But I, my my spiritual life, my devotion tells me that that there's just this, this great love holding all this suffering and being with it and it's, that's my path
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my path right jonas yeah. uh uh people listening in uh i'm sure many are very inspired by your words and and are maybe thinking how can i live a more spiritual life on a daily basis what are some of the things that you would recommend to them and in in your own daily life how much time do you put into spiritual practice every day and and what types of spiritual practice do you engage in?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, there are uh, Christian teachers who, rec- like Richard Rohr, I would say, and Jim Finley, two examples, um, and, and and Thomas Keating, who recommend uh, twenty minutes of meditation a day. You know, just as a basic practice. Um, and I respect that. I don't do that always. Um, mm-hmm. I. Uh, The two regular things that I have in my life that are absolutely essential are I I meditate with a group of other Christians who have East-West experience every Sunday morning, and I've Mm -hmm. been doing that for 23 years, Um, and and Wednesday mornings. Um, The Wednesday morning group goes a little deeper into psychological issues, but it's basically the same. The Sunday morning practice is um, uh, gathering around on, on cushions and chairs, and twenty we start with twenty minutes of silence. Um, then we read the Christian scriptures for the day so that we're connecting with the uh, the Christ story, and we know that we're connecting with Christians all over the planet, billions of them. And that helps that there's a we're in the midst of a week or it's not this is not an individual practice. and then um, and then we have sharing time to speak honestly. Uh, whether we like it or not, what's coming up in our lives in relation to the great story, the Christ story. So that that's absolutely essential for me. The, the da- my daily practice is to realize this love in all my relationships. As soon as I notice, uh, one example, as soon as I notice irritation with my wife, Margaret, or with a friend or at work, uh, I do a lot of conservation work, as soon as I notice irritation, as an example, um, I that's the portal for me to practice love what is going on here so i go spelunking into irritation every day um or traffic or whatever you know shopping it doesn't matter so my spiritual practice uh, I, I would say there's i spend most time in spiritual practice as i live my ordinary life um, but it's quite invisible it's subtle it's uh, it's not sitting on a cushion it's not 20 minutes this or something um can I realize love in every situation in my life? That's, that's my practice. Mm-hmm.
1: Beautiful. Uh, Jonas, before we uh, let you go, uh, I'd love to call the listeners' attention to some of your uh, written work in case they want to um, learn more about you and from you. You've written about your mentor, Henry Nowen, uh, and you have a, a beautiful book about uh, called Rebecca, Father's Journey from Grief to Gratitude. Uh, can you say something about uh, the books and articles that people might uh, be able to uh, access?
2: Uh, sure. Um, I just want to call attention to Henry Nowen. again, who's a fr- he lived with us for a while. And Henry, uh, Roman Catholic, um, wrote thirty-five books. One of his best books is Return of the Prodigal Son. That great story from the Hebrew tradition, being welcomed home with all our shame and guilt and so so forth. And Hillary Clinton, by the way, has said that that's her favorite spiritual book. Mm -hmm. Is um, is Henry's uh, Return of the Prodigal Son, and that's Henry with an I and N O U W E N. (laughs) Excuse me, he died twenty years ago this year. Um, So I've written two books about him. The the second is called. I'd recommend the second book called The Essential Henry Nowen. Uh, it's from Shambhala Press, um, because they 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 were interested in my first book, and they someone there, uh, I think the editor, I can't remember his name now, said that Henry Nouwen sounded like a Christian Tema mm. Um So that's why I wrote the second book called The Essential Henry Nouwen. And then there's Rebecca losing our daughter. Um, and I have an argument with uh, Meister Eckhart, the great uh, 14th century Christian mystic in that book, because I was, leading retreats about him, and I, I liked some of his advice and didn't like others, so I put in a, a pretend dialogue argument with, with Meister Eckhart. Um, and then there's two other things I would mention. I have a chapter in a book called, um, the chapter is called Loving Someone You Can't See. It's my relationship with Jesus and all, all images of Jesus disappearing for me over the years. That's in a book called Beside Still Waters, um, colon, Jews, Christians, and the Way of the Buddha. And each each chapter, there are four, four chapters, uh, Seven of them are by Jews, and seven seven are by Christians who had a Buddhist practice, and their Jewishness and their Christianness was transformed by practicing Buddhist meditation. So that's a great book. And then finally, I'll mention um, a chapter called "Cigarette Smoke and Incense: A Perfect Storm of Healing," and that's a chapter. <laughs> In uh, Into the Mountain Stream, Psychotherapy and Buddhism, uh, by Paul Cooper, who's a psychiatrist, um, Cigarette Smoke and Incense is about um, a direct experience of how I access psychotherapeutic truths, Buddhist meditation, and Christian contemplative prayer in one sitting, <laughs> if you will.
0: The, and these are all on my website. Great. So. Jonas, thank you so very much for your time. Uh, it's emptybell.com. <laughs> Uh, All this will be posted up on our uh, podcast information on uh, finding out more about uh, uh, Jonas and and what he's doing and the activities the Empty Bell. Uh, Very inspiring. Uh, I I hope you can come back on the show sometime soon. This is much more that we could discuss. Uh, This is Dennis Mundy with my co-host Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our guest today Robert A. Jonas uh, who runs is the founder and uh, director of The Empty Bell in Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, you're listening to Spirit Matters Talk at spiritmatterstalk.com. Uh, please uh, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. And uh, send in your questions or recommendations for uh, uh, guests and uh, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, uh, Jonas, thank you again so very much for taking the time to come on. Any final words, Phil, that you'd like to say?
1: No, I just want to thank Jonas and wish him continued success in his work and uh, continued good health.
2: Thank you. Thank you, both of you guys. This is a wonderful conversation that we've had, and I love the work you're doing on your, your website and, and your radio show. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.